Hey, Peter here. This week we have a recording of our Talks and Tastings event that was held on March 15th. The presenter is Reverend Anthony Dodgers, and uh, his talk is entitled, My Church Has More Bible. And he's going to talk about where our liturgy came from and how everything we say in the liturgy is the Bible. Enjoy. Recorded live at Talks and Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. Well, you know why the farmer was so successful? He was outstanding in his field. Okay, so uh, I was doing some prison ministry when I was a vicar, and I went to the prison, and all the alarms started going off as I was leaving. And I looked, and there was this midget in an orange jumpsuit that had worked his way through the bars. And so he was scaling down the wall, and he turned around and he looked at me, and he just stared at me. And I said, boy, that's a little condescending. (laughs) All right, Pastor Dodgers, you're up. Let's say a quick prayer. Oh Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Better is one day in your courts, O Lord, than to dwell a thousand elsewhere. I would rather dwell in your house than in the tents of the wicked. O Lord, bless our meditation on your house and the service of your house today, that we might hear and learn and grow in your word that uh, gives us life and makes us your holy people. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, I, am, I was kind of wondering, you know, how many people would actually be here. And it's nice to see uh, uh, all of you because, you know, it shows that your interest in God's word trumps your fear of the corona monster. And, um, and I guess we're, we'll still be done in time for you to go home and listen to uh, Joe and Bernie, if that's your thing. So, but the Bible's probably better anyways. Um, my church has more Bible than yours. I don't know if you've heard that exact phrase from anybody, uh, but it's sometimes the kind of idea that's brought up by people from uh, churches who don't use what we call a liturgy. A liturgy is just sort of a set form of worship. And, uh, you know, I don't know any of you, so if you, maybe some of you uh, go to a church that... that uh, doesn't have a set form of worship, but uh, I guess I, I'm just assuming that you're all Lutherans. Anyways, I'm not trying to uh, be critical of these churches, but want to answer that objection. You know, they might say, well, we just have a preacher, and he, he just preaches God's word, uh, works through, you know, uh, a part of the Bible off of a, of a scripture text, and, you know, and then we sing some songs. Uh, so then what do you really get in the end you know, maybe after being in there for an hour or more, you get one chapter of the Bible, sometimes not even that. You know, maybe they just go off on one, one verse for a half an hour. Um, they might all, people might also claim that churches that use a historic liturgy are, are just using a man-made thing, right? That there, there's no command from God in how to worship. Uh, you're just following the traditions that some old uh, dead white guys made up. 
And, uh, you know, you're not being very spiritual. You're not letting the Holy Spirit guide you. You're just following a bunch of dead letters. Well, I guess my point tonight and my answer to that is uh, the, the, the liturgy is the Bible. And I say that to sound a little shocking because you're, you can't open your Bible and find uh, a, a setting of the, of the Lutheran divine service in it, right? But I mean that in three ways. You could say the liturgy is from the Bible, literally almost every single word. The thing I passed out to you, I'm going to uh, kind of use that as an outline for most of my talk tonight. And it was basically an exercise for me to go through and see, you know, how many scripture references can I get out of the text of our of our Lutheran divine service. Almost every single word. It, it actually got hard. It was hard for me to know when to stop putting citations down. I know our, our hymnal, if you open your, you follow along in your hymn book in uh, our Lutheran churches, they have some citations in there, but it may give you like one or maybe two at the most. I wanted, I wanted more. I wanted everything to have reference to the Bible because it all comes out of there. You, there, you could also mean the liturgy is the Bible in a different way. You could say the liturgy is shaped by the Bible. It follows a pattern that is set in the Old Testament and, and then also uh, in the New Testament. Or you could say that the liturgy is just the Bible in action. It takes the most essential parts of this book and it gives them to us in song and prayer uh, so that we can grasp it and use it and hold on to these words from God uh, for our whole life long. And that it's not just a, it's not just a book like, like a textbook. You know, or a library book. You might go, you go look at it once in a while to get a, a fact out of it, but it's actually a book that gets used all the time. So uh, for the most part, or at least what we'll, how we'll start, is uh, kind of going, doing a walkthrough of the divine service, and you can fo follow along there. I'm not really going to reference too much on that handout, but it does give you the text of the divine service, and it gives you all these Bible passages, and that's mainly for you to take home and you know look up. I, I, I don't know, I think it could be an interesting exercise, spiritual devotion, you know, to take, just take one part at a time, one section each day, and look up those passages and see where, you know, where does this stuff really come from? You might be surprised. Well, we'll start then with the beginning, obviously, the invocation, uh, because in the Bible, God gives us his name. It's how you know who this God is. It's how you can have access to uh, the God that you're, that you're worshiping, that you can know who he is, what he's like. You've got to know his name. And in the Old Testament, he said, I'm going to put my name on Jerusalem. My name goes right here. That's where you can find me, right? That's my address. That's my dwelling place. And then in the New Testament, what you have is the name of God actually put right on you. It's put on you in your, in your baptism. It's put on you again as you hear God's word. And so the gathering of God's people is always marked by his name. A little, uh, I guess, more um, agricultural way to put it would be, uh, you're all... Yeah, you know, 
the, the gathering of the Christian of Christians for worship is is a big roundup, and you're all the cattle that God has branded, and He's pulling you out of the rest of the you know wandering cows and bringing you into His His fold. This is why Jesus says things like, "Where two or three are gathered in My name, right there I am." His name tells you where He is and where His Christians go. And, and then the, really the key thing we want to notice from this, why it's so important that we start here, is what's the, what is the action with this name then? Who's, who's, who put the name on you? Did, you? did you claim God's name for yourself? Or did he, he's the one who put his name on you, right? He marked you. You're his stuff. You're his holy people. Just like you put your name on your, your things, right? Because they're precious to you and you don't want anybody else messing with your, with your stuff. That's what God does. He put the name on you. And so the chief focus for the whole Bible and the chief focus for liturgy, for, for real Christian worship, is about God doing stuff to and for you. It's God coming to you, God giving things to you, God putting his name on you, it's the action all starts with God coming at you. And then once you've got his name, once he's come and once he's given you, you his name, then you can use it, right? Okay, now I've got his, his name and it is an amazing thing. I, I will never get done using his name in this lifetime. We can call upon his name, pray to him, praise him, right? Give him our thanks. All of our action towards God, that's all joyful response. That's the secondary point. You can't do that first. You got it. God, God comes down to us first and claims us, calls us, gathers us together, and then we, we respond. So this is why we call it the divine service, that it's God coming down and serving us. That's the whole message of the Bible, right? That Jesus, God, comes down to be the one who serves and gives his life as a ransom for many, right? That, if that's the message of the whole Bible, that's gotta be the whole point of Christian worship then. So from there we go on to the confession of sins and this is, introduces the other really important point about worship. That is this word confession. Confession means saying the same thing. Just saying the same thing. Repeating it, repeating it back. What you hear, you say back. So with confession of sin, God says... You are a sinner. You deserve to die. And we confess. We say the same thing. We say, I, a poor, miserable sinner, right? Uh, we're going to come back to this in the, when we get to the creed about saying the same thing. But, you know, really just think about, again, how does this connect with the Bible? Well, where, where, does, where does God say this, that you are a sinner, in, in his word, right, in, in the Bible. And so uh, we're just saying the same thing that the Bible says. We are like children who learn how to talk from their parents, right? It's the only way you learn how to talk is by listening to other people how, that, that can talk. And, and so God teaches us how to talk by telling us what to say. He says, you say this, right? Say mama, say dada, right? That's how you teach your kids. And that's how God teaches us. He says, you're a sinner. Now say it back, right? Then comes the absolution. 
which is just the word for, for forgiveness. And here we have uh, the Bible itself. We have the, the word of God that's applied to you for your sins, right? The Bible is a book for everybody, uh, but, it's, but you also need, you need what it says for yourself. You need it applied to you. I need the Bible to deal with what I'm dealing with, right? What, what's going on in my life, the sins that, I am, uh, that I'm struggling with, that I'm confessing here. And so that's why we need the absolution. The, Bible, the Bible's got to be much, 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 much more than uh, basic instructions before leaving earth. Anybody, I don't know if you've heard that one before. Um, uh, it's just a book of rules. And then we get in a spaceship or something. Um, no, uh, it's, it, it's also gotta be more than just uh, stories, historical, true stories, it is. But it's like, okay, if, that, if the, that's what happened to those people, what does that have to do with, with me, right? Uh, the Bible is the living and active word of God that comes to you right where you are and it does something to you. It, it forgives you. When you hear that absolution spoken to you, you're different than you were a few seconds ago. You stand forgiven by, by God. You, your faith is being strength, strengthened. You are uh, given peace. Right? That's the absolution. It's the word, of, the word of God, the Bible in action, going right into your ear and into your heart so that you can know that with, you know, without a doubt, God accepts me. God loves me. You know, there's, uh, it's a great song, uh, and I'm all in favor of kids singing it. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, right? What about Jesus loves me, this I know, for my, my pastor tells me so? or the absolution tells me so. That's how I know that Jesus loves me, that he died for me, right? Because I hear it spoken, given right into my ears. And, and finally, you know, the Bible, in the Bible, Jesus actually commands that the forgiveness of sins be pronounced, right? So uh, when pastors stand up and do this, they're not taking anything on themselves, Right, they, we haven't. This this is not a, a tradition of men that some uh, guy that thinks a lot about about himself came up with one day. Jesus says this is what you need to do. You need to forgive sins, and so we're just we're just doing what God tells us because the Bible tells us so. Right, this is how it is. Uh, and let me say one more thing before I pause a minute here. Yeah. So Amen. I kind of skipped it. You say Amen the first time after the name, right? But uh, amen is just such a great, great word, and uh, you probably, like I said, I don't know all of you, so I could be wrong, but you probably all need to say it more. I just, I know enough Lutherans that I bet you don't say it enough. Um, that's not the pastor's word. That's your word. You, you get to say amen. Don't let him say it, or if he says it, you say it louder than him. All right. Get it? Compete with the microphone. <laughs> Um, because what amen means, it, it kind of means uh, this is true. Right? In the catechism, we say this is most certainly true, or yes, yes, it shall be so. Or you can also think about it as gift received. I got it. Right? So that you, you, the pastor says God's name. You got God's name put on you. I got it. Gift received. God's name right here. 
The pastor says, you are, your sins are forgiven. You say, amen, I got it, gift received, right? Um, the, the way God wants to be worshiped is not in any ceremonies that we do. It's not in um, any outward uh, things or in, even in any forms of worship, but it is faith. Faith is the real worship of God. It's receiving the gifts from him. That's worship, is, is sitting and listening and getting from God the good stuff that he wants to give you. And so the best word for worship is amen. I got it. All right, so from there we move into what we call the service of the word. Oh, good. That's, this is supposed to be about the, the liturgy as the Bible, right? So we're focused on the Bible itself, in, in the book itself, that we are going to learn from this book. We're going to also uh, pray from this book. So we're going to hear God in the Bible, hear him speaking to us, but then we're also going to speak back to him, confess, right? We're going to pray the Bible back to him. And the first time we do that is in what we call the introit. It's just a fancy word for entrance psalm. All right, so we're coming into the church now, into the place where God's word is heard, and we're saying a prayer or a song, but it's not just one we made up, right? It comes, these are, these are verses that come out of the Bible itself, which is why in your, on your handout, some of these areas I don't have specific references for because, well, those references change every week. Right, the tip, you have a different introit every Sunday. These prayers, though, so we're coming into God's presence, praying to him. They're not our prayers. The Psalms are Jesus' prayers. Right? This, it's sort of interesting how you know, we normally think of prayer as our word to God. Right? It would make sense. That's what it is. That's true. But then the Psalms are really strange then because they're, they're prayers, our words to God, but, but, but they're in the Bible, which means they're God's words. They're from the Holy Spirit. So they're God, also God's words to us. And that's the wonderful thing about praying the Psalms or using the Bible to pray to God is because then you're using God's own words back to him and you never need to be in doubt about your prayers. You know, you might, if, I don't know, struggle with saying my prayers and wonder, Am I praying for the right thing? Am I saying the right thing? How do you do this? When you pray God's word, you have no doubt that your prayers are, are, are good and right because they're the prayers that God, God actually gave you, right? Just like the Lord's prayer. This is the one that he actually gave us to pray. If you ever, ever say, I don't know what to pray, you can always pray the Lord's prayer or the Psalms because God said, here you go, pray this. Then we get the uh, Kyrie, which is another prayer from the Bible, uh, Lord have mercy, right? And it's just the prayer of, of almost everybody that comes to Jesus. I think, I, I don't know how many references I gave there, but almost, you know, all the people that come to Jesus look, looking for healing, they all say, Lord have mercy in some, some shape or form. Mercy, asking God for mercy is the, is the, is the prayer that includes all other prayers, Anything, anything from, uh, that we, we need from God is all included in this, this cry for, for mercy, right? Uh, that's why we, um, if, uh, maybe some of your churches during Lent, you pray the litany, and there's this list of all these things. Let's, pr let's, pray, for the, let's pray for the world. Let's pray that we don't die of the coronavirus. Let's pray of, um, um, you know, 
for the government. Let's pray for the church. Let's pray for the, the widows. Let's pray for the children. Let's pray for the pregnant mother, mothers. Uh, all of these different things and people that we're praying for, we just keep saying, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. It sums it all up. And one other thing I want to uh, encourage you to, uh, we'll see, try to trace this through as we go, but uh, I, one other thing that uh, I want to have you think about as we go through this is not only does the liturgy all come from the Bible, but it's actually uh, sort of follows the life of Christ. So every Sunday you do the divine service, you're sort of rehearsing the most important Bible story of them all, the life of Christ. And I'll point it out as we go, but kind of starting with the Kyrie then, we have the longing of the Old Testament people waiting for God to come. Mercy, mercy is a big word in the Old Testament. It's interesting how, I don't know what this means yet, but in the Old Testament, it's, it's, mercy, it's God's mercy. That's the, that's the big deal. And in the New Testament, it's God's grace. I don't, I don't know, those just at the, I mean, both words are used in both Testaments, but it just seems like that, those are the emphasized um, for some reason. I have to do more thinking about that. So you get, you get this little, this cry for God to send the Savior, to, to send help, right? Send the rescuer, have mercy, and then how the liturgy responds with Christmas. Gloria, Gloria in excelsis, Right? Uh, you, we sing it all the time at Christmas, but we sing it almost every, every Sunday. It's the song of the angels. It starts with the song of the angels, but then it, it goes on. It, you know, the, the, um, the church, as the church developed this, this form of wor worship, kind of said, like, we got to unpack what's being said in this, you know, glory be to God on high and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. What, what does that really mean? Let's, let's unravel that a little bit. And so it goes on, and the glory in excelsis is just this great hymn. All of, it's about the whole trinity, right? And not just the birth of Jesus, but everything that God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are doing to uh, bring glory to God and to bring peace to you. And following that song, we get this salutation. Um, that, that just means greeting. It's, it's an apostolic greeting, which means it, it's a greeting that the apostles use in their, in their epistles, right? The Lord be with you. The way it functions in our service here is that it's like a, it's like a, mini, a mini ordination. So, you know, when we, when we make a pastor, when the church makes a pastor, they, they ordain him. They say, you're the man, right? God has made you the guy to preach the word and do the sacraments. And so this, this little exchange between the pastor and the people is like a little short version of that. It's, it's, it's actually the first, um, in some ways it's the first words spoken by the pastor as Christ's representative. Um, I mean, you might say, well, what about the invocation and the absolution? Definitely, he speaks those as Christ's representative. If you go back in, back in church history, um, they didn't always have that confession absolution at the beginning of their service. They just started with the intro. Do you do confession absolution at a different time? Um, and so the first thing you'd hear from the, pastor, the pastor's voice then was, the Lord be with you. But... Uh, Either way, it functions as this little exchange. Uh, the pastor says, the Lord be with you. Not, 
the Lord may, may the Lord be with you. Like, gosh, I hope he is. But no, the Lord is with you. He's here. He's going to do his, his Lord thing. He's going to do his, his thing that Jesus does. He's going to speak his word. He's going to give you his body and blood. He's going to forgive your sins, right? That's what the Lord is going to do with you here today. And you say, and with thy spirit. You say, yep, you're the pastor. That's your, it's your um, job as servant of Christ here. And, uh, you know, even if you're kind of dorky, it's okay because it's all about what the Lord is going to be doing right through you here. So the, then the pastor uh, turns around and prays the, uh, the collect of the day, just a short prayer, sort of collecting the thoughts of the day whatever the, getting us ready to hear the scriptures that are coming up next. We get three, usually you get three readings then, right? You get the Old Testament. Just to do this a little quicker, I suppose, you get Old Testament. You hear from the prophets, right? Hear from the prophets first. Then you hear from the, then you get the epistle. You hear from the apostles. So we've covered both ends of Bible history, right? The people before Christ and the people coming from Christ. And then we get the Holy Gospel. There's the uh, words and works of Jesus himself. In between, you have these other little things going on. There's these little, these psalm verses maybe that maybe the pastor sings or maybe a choir sings or maybe you sing as congregation. There's these psalm verses stuck in between to kind of space out the readings. Say, let's uh, slow down here take our time, and listen to the scriptures prayerfully. Let's, you know, respond to what we hear God speaking to us. Except, again, it's not just us, it's not just us responding on our own, just throwing our own prayers out there, but we're, again, we're going to use God's prayers. He's, te he's teaching us how to talk. That's what, one of the main points of the liturgy, really, and hopefully get to this at the end, is that the liturgy teaches you how to talk like a Christian, how to talk like God's child. You're in God's house, it's a family. Right? You, you sit, you come to God's house and uh, your heavenly father is teaching you how to, uh, how to talk to him, how to listen and how to talk. And uh, let's see, a little bit more about the Holy Gospel then. As I said, these are the, works and, the words and works of, of Jesus. Again, uh, I have to keep saying this, I guess, but the Bible is more than a book. It, it, the word of God is more than a book. It is a book that doesn't deny that it's, a, you know, it's the holy inspired inerrant word of God written on a page. But the word of God is a who. It's Jesus who comes to you and is present with you when you hear his word. So when you hear the gospel, you say, this is, this is Jesus, right? This is why we have some like extra ceremonies when we use, often when we hear a gospel, we all stand up. Right? Or we say, um, say, glory be to thee, O Lord, or praise be to thee, O Christ. Right? We're greeting him because Jesus is there. Uh, if the Bible really is how Jesus comes to us, it's, the Bible is how Jesus dwells with us, then, then all of our ceremonies, even if they are traditions, they're a little bit more than just a tradition because we're acting the way that we do in the presence of the king. You're saying, you're confessing by your actions, the king's here, right? The, um, the Bible is, uh, <laughs> the Bible stories are alive and they're happening right now, what, what, we're, what, we're, uh, what we're doing and hearing. 
All right, I gotta, I gotta stop and just ask if, if there are any questions so I don't just keep talking nonstop. But it's okay if there aren't, I'll keep going. Yeah, if I, so she asked about the collect of the day and you're asking, are you saying, does it go along, um, does the collect go along with the lectionary readings? Yes, yeah, sorry. So that's, I'll just, I'll say this and see if it answers your question. Uh, the, the collect of the day gets stuck to the readings that are assigned for that day. So it, it comes usually, there's, there's some, uh, usually some reference to at least one or more of the readings kind of connected in some way to that. <coughs> Yeah, it's all, it's all God's word, of course, uh, but in the gospel, you're actually getting face-to-face -face with Jesus, right? You know, the, 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 the person of Jesus Christ, Son of God, hearing directly from him, not through a prophet or through an apostle, but hearing his words, right? And seeing his, his own actions. So that's why it's sort of set apart, yeah. Yeah. Was the divine service wrote by Martin Luther? No, um, it was, it's been around a lot longer. So it, it wasn't written by any, it wasn't written by anybody. <laughs> it wasn't written by any one person. It was, uh, it came about over time. It, uh, and again, that's going to see, you're going to say, oh, well then, there you go. Traditions, right? It's just a tradition of men. They just started doing this. It comes out of the Bible itself. It comes out of the worship of the Old Testament, the people of Israel, it, it, because who are the apostles? They're, they're, they're Old Testament people, right? They, just, they, they get to come into the New Testament, and so they bring the worship of God's people into the New, and it changes, but it, you know, there's a continuity there, and it continues to grow and adapt and take shape, but... Um, We'll, we'll see, there's, there, I'm going to point out uh, a little later that there's, there's a uh, continuity even just in how the, liter how the divine service is laid out that um, it, uh, it's connected to the worship that the people are doing in the Bible itself. Now, if you go, like if you, you mentioned Martin Luther, I'm sorry, I don't remember if I asked. He asked if, um, he asked if the uh, divine service was written by Martin Luther, right? I said, no, much older than him. And uh, if you go to a Roman Catholic church or maybe an Episcopalian church, if you go to a church that kind of does their service out of a book, it's a formal liturgy, the outline is going to be very similar. If, if, you know, if you go, to, I, I can't tell you how many Roman Catholics have come to my church either growing up or, or now and have said, your, your service is just like ours. Yeah. It, we, we all come out of the same, the same heritage. And, and Martin Luther and the other reformers did um, prune a bit. They, 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 they changed some things where things needed to be changed, but for the most part, they continued um, with the heritage that we had kind of received. So um, I'm going to go on with the next part here of the service because I want to say a little bit more about the Nicene Creed. Because, and I guess this is it's connected in a way with your question too because uh, you know, it's another question of uh, traditions, traditions of men. Have you, anybody ever heard someone say... Uh, 
You know, if you say, if you mention the creed, like Apostles' Creed or Nicene Creed, ever hear anybody say, uh, you know, I don't have any creed but the Bible. Say, no, you know, no creed, no creed but the Bible. Or maybe they say no, no creeds, de deeds, not creeds, but um, that's something else, I suppose. Uh, no, yeah, some, some Christians kind of say, I don't need any, any creed that's written by, by men to tell me uh, what to believe. I, I believe what the Bible says. I get my beliefs right from the Bible. Okay, good, yep. I think we all agree with that, right? But, but what do you mean? There's a lot of different ideas about what the Bible says, right? We can all say, I get my beliefs from the Bible. And then we start talking about what we believe and we're like, are we reading the same book? You know, um, it's easy to get lost in the weeds. In the, you know, the Bible is a big book, can get sidetracked on things. But we also hear this, this common objection whenever you kind of lay out, here's what the Bible's saying. They, they, uh, you hear an objection of, oh, that's just your interpretation, right? Well, how, so, how do you, so how do I know I've got the right interpretation? It's actually so wonderfully simple. The Bible gives you its own interpretation. The Bible explains itself. You know, you can't just read one verse and get that, but you, you read through the Bible and you take it all together as a whole and you see over time how it all explains itself. You know, the Holy Spirit was not sloppy. He, he can, and he's not dumb. I mean, the Holy Spirit can make himself known to, uh, to men, right? He can make himself understood. We need to listen, right? We need to listen more than coming up with our own... Um, what we think he's saying, but the Holy Spirit will explain it to us if we just pay attention to his book. And so the creed is just, just listening. It's just that listening to the Holy Spirit, to the Bible. It, the creed is just putting the Bible's own explanation of things down on paper so that we have a guide when we read the Bible. All right, so it's just giving you the Bible. Here's how the Bible interprets itself in uh, you know, a short form. So it's your, your go-to check when you're reading when you're reading if you ever find something in the bible that seems like it disagrees with the creed say oh i i re you know this doesn't sound right here in the bible because it doesn't match up with the creed uh chances are you took a wrong turn somewhere and you know check back with the creed it'll help you or go see pastor and he and the creed will get you straightened back out. That's what the creed is, is there for. So really, the creed is the Bible. It's just condensed. It's just a shrunk-down version. It covers everything from the first day of creation to the last day uh, when Jesus comes back and, and on into the, uh, the new creation that never ends. It, the Bible covers the salvation accomplished for us on the cross. It, co it covers salvation delivered to us in the word and in the sacraments. It, the creed covers justification. That's, uh, you know, the fancy word for forgiveness of sins, saved by grace alone. It covers, uh, the creed covers sanctification. That's a uh, holy life, good works, living the way that God made us to live. Every line of the Nicene Creed comes from somewhere in the Bible. Uh, almost, maybe not almost word for word. You can go, the creed I actually got from somebody else and I always, 
I, I never really spent the time to go and look up all those passages. And when I did, I was amazed. It really is all right there. It's not just a summary. Yeah. That, I guess, is just a tradition. <laughs> um, there, you know, the, the Apostles' Creed is, typic, is, is um, typically the, the everyday Christian creed. It's your baptism creed. It's what, you got, it's what they said when you were baptized. It's what you um, confessed when you got confirmed. It's your everyday sort of creed, right? which, which is nice because it's shorter, right? Um, but it, it covers the, the Christian faith for you in a simple, compact form. The Nicene Creed is technically the more official public creed. So, I mean, not, they're not different in what they say. Uh, the Apostles' Creed is for you to use as an individual Christian. The Nicene Creed is typically more what we use in our public worship. It's like, here's, we're going to be even more detailed in what we believe, right? And so that's why we usually save the Nicene Creed for services of Holy Communion, because it's a more public kind of service. Yeah. But we also sometimes use the Apostles' Creed in our in our church services as well because, um, well, we want to make sure that you're saying it. So, uh, but also say it at home on your on your own too when you say your prayers. Uh, all right. Oh, confession. Got to bring back that word again. We confess the creed, right? Like we confess our sins. We also confess our faith. Remember what confession means? Saying the same thing, right? You're just saying the same thing back to God. Um, how, uh, you know, I'm guessing you've all been in a place at one point, you know, if you have kids, you've all been in this spot. You're telling your kids something and they're like kind of vacant and you say, uh, are you listening to me? Yeah. Yeah. I know. What did I just say? Right? You have to say, re repeat that back to me. Because <laughs> that's the only way you know that they actually heard you right. right? So that is, that is also what our Heavenly Father uh, does for us. He wants to hear us say back to him what he just said to us to make sure that we've got it straight, that we've got our, we've got our understanding of, of God uh, right. You know, this is the same with what I said with the prayers. You never have to doubt your prayers when your prayers are based on God's word. It's the same thing with our statements of faith. There's nothing more certain that you can say back to God. There's no better way that you can praise him or thank him than when you say back to him what he says to us. This is, this is what he wants from us, really, is uh, this Christian life of doing what God does, saying what God says, that, that, we, that we are that we, uh, are more and more like him. Our, our epistle reading at my church started out, be imitators of God. That's what Christians do. They imitate, they mimic their heavenly father and their, and their uh, big brother Jesus. So uh, this is really my whole thing in this presentation, but not just my, my whole thing. It's the, it's the liturgy's whole thing. It's the Bible's whole thing. It's Jesus' whole thing. Repeat after me. Do what I do, right? Come follow me. Say what I say. Do, do what I do. So God says in the Bible, I am the one true God. I am Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And we confess. We say the same thing back to him. 
I believe in God the Father Almighty and his Son, Jesus Christ, and in the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, and as I, I just already mentioned, that's, it comes from, we get that from the Bible. The creed is just clearly saying what the Bible clearly says. The most important principal points of what the Bible has to teach us gets packed up into this thing we call the creed. That, that's what the whole liturgy is doing. It's just, it, as I've said already, it's repeating back to God what he says to us in the Bible. And the creed is just a really tight package of the Bible. It's like the most, I suppose the most compact form of the package is how we started in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There, it's really brief. Creed expands it a little bit. Or say a few things about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? The liturgy expands it a little bit more. Let's spend a little time with this, okay? Let's, let's take our time and, and uh, sing about it a little while, pray about it. But then the church year unpacks it even more, right? Let's not just review the life of Jesus every Sunday in a really short, condensed format, but let's try to review the life of Jesus every year. Right, let's take our time and really let's spend some time going through it. And then, and then it's in the scripture readings and in the sermon itself that we really dig into the details. Right? But you can't go through the whole Bible every week. You, just, you couldn't do that. Right? So we, we sum it up. All right. Hymns. I'm not going to say anything too much about hymns. Just that they, they're doing the same thing that the liturgy does, just in a little bit different form. The sermon, though. What uh, I mentioned, we've supposed to be tracking the life of Jesus here, kind of got off, on, off from that, but Kyrie, Old Testament longing for God's mercy, Gloria in excelsis, Christmas, right? Heaven comes down to earth, Jesus is born. The sermon, and I suppose you could say the gospel reading too, but I think especially it's in the, in the, in the sermon where you see, you kind of have modeled for you the earthly ministry of Jesus, what, what's, the, what's the pastor doing? He's teaching, right? Just what Jesus did in his ministry, both in his words and in his miracles. And then also a thing to keep in mind, you know, why, why do we have it structured this way where we get Bible readings, Bible read, you know, Old Testament, epistle, gospel, creed, then the sermon. Why not just have a song and then have a sermon and then have a song, you know, why, why the order? Well, we've heard, we, we listen to the prophets first. They came first, so let's listen to them. Then we'll listen to the apostles, teachers sent by Jesus. And then we're going to listen to Jesus himself, really give him pride of place, right? We're going to hear from our Lord. And then the church sums it all up in the creed. The church says, here's what we believe. And now the pastor gets up to give you the sermon, right? And what he says better flow from and agree with everything that's already been said, right? He better not get up there and say anything that contradicts the prophets, the apostles, Jesus, or what the church has just confessed. Because the pastor uh, doesn't stand up there to, to give you just what's, whatever's on his mind, um, whatever he likes to talk about, here's, here's my, my thought for the day, but he gets his direction from God in the word and also from the, the church that's confessing that word to him. And the whole point of the pastor getting up there and talking at all is to open those scriptures for you, to really you know, guide you through them and to show you, here's what the Bible is all about. It's all about 
Jesus. All of the scriptures reveal Jesus, what he, what he does and who he is. All right, we're kind of into the some, you know, halfway point, I suppose, you know, sometimes you feel like the offering is the intermission or something like that. And it is this, it's this strange segue point between service of the word and, and service of the sacrament. But first, we, we normally sing this thing called the offertory. And we're singing in response to the sermon. So from what we've heard in the sermon that, that you know, we, we, have our, we are sinners that need a savior and Jesus has done that. And so we cry out to God, create in me a clean heart. Oh Lord, you know, do, do that for me. But we're also praying in preparation for the supper that we're about to have. Uh, and once again, it's a Bible prayer, right? It's a, it's a psalm. Whichever form of the divine service you use in our, our Lutheran service book, the offertory is straight out of the psalms, either Psalm 51, the service that I've been following here, or um, Psalm 116 in some of the other services. Uh, then we get the offerings and the prayers. I'm putting the offerings and the prayers together because these are, these are a big part of, of your response to God in worship, right? I said the main point of worship is God's doing something for us. He is speaking to us. He's putting his name on us. He's forgiving us. But there is a response. We offer God our worship. We offer him our living sacrifices, and our living sacrifice is not a sacrifice of blood. Jesus took care of that. Sins are forgiven. Now we offer God our good works. We are priests under the high priest Jesus. So we offer our own little sacrifices and our own little prayers uh, to God in response to what he has done. And the church uh, prays for herself and she prays for the whole world. Church is the always the one that is praying for the rest. I mean, if the church doesn't, if the church stopped praying, who would, who would pray? You know, no, nobody, nobody else would. We have to pray for the world. Nobody else is going to do it. Uh, and so here we have the life of prayer that is taught by Jesus. Not only his teachings, um, you know, about who he, who he is and what God does, but also how he teaches us uh, about our relationship with our heavenly Father, how to talk to him, how to approach him. This gets acted out in our, in our prayers then as, a, as a, whole, uh, a whole body of believers. From there then we do move into this next big section, the second big section of the divine service, and that's the service of the sacrament. So, so far we've just been focused about the um, Jesus being among us in his word, straight up kind of really in the Bible as a book. But now Jesus is going to come to us bodily in a different way, in his true body and blood. And so uh, everything kind of changes a little bit. Uh, we almost do a little bit of a restart. We get the salutation again. There's this thing called the, the preface. That's what he said, the Lord be with you, with thy spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God, right? Uh, the, uh, the salutation is doing the same thing that it did before, just kind of checking in again. You know, all right, I'm about to do this really important thing as your pastor. Yep, you're the pastor. Go do that. Uh, and uh, pastor says, you know, lift up your hearts. We're, our, your hearts are, are already with Christ. They are in the heavenly places uh, with him. And, uh, and he is now going to be right here with you 
in this sacrament. The heaven, in, the, in the Lord's Supper, the, the heavenly places are, are right where you are because Jesus, his body and blood, is right where you are, right going into your mouth. And we give thanks uh, for the gift of, our, uh, of, this, uh, of this supper that our, our Lord gives us. You'll see, you'll see giving thanks uh, pops up a few times in the service of the sacrament because how can you not you know, just say thank you when God is giving you such a wonderful gift. So the proper preface then is this longer prayer of thanksgiving. It goes into detail usually on what the season is or what the day is, and uh, it points out that uh, our, our song is not just what we do. Our worship is not just, here's what I'm doing for God, but I'm actually, I mean, I'm not that important because my worship is actually connected to the worship that's always going on around God's throne, right? You go, to, you go look in the book of Revelation and you see what's going on around God's throne and suddenly my, uh, my worship's not such a big deal, really. I'm kind of humbled to be included. Um, and don't lose sight of the fact that, that that's drawn, you know, as I just mentioned, Revelation, that's drawn right out of the Bible again. Right, that this, this image of God's throne room that we're coming to now as we receive our Savior's body and blood, we get all of this right from the scriptures. It's not just a nice idea. It's what the Bible says is really happening. We just can't see it. So uh, the, uh, the, next big, the next big song then is the song of heaven. It's the song going on all the time around God's throne, the Sanctus, holy, holy, holy. There's the, the seraphim and the cherubim, these angelic beings around God's throne that Isaiah saw when he saw God sitting on his throne. He sees these burning angels flying all around, singing holy, holy, holy. Right? And so we, we sing that same song because we realize that's what's happening right now. Our altar is God's throne, and we can't see him, but there's giant, burning, angelic creatures flying all around singing holy, holy, holy. And then we also sing blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? That's, um, anybody know where, 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 does, where do you hear that? Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right, yeah, yeah, it's Palm Sunday, right? So here we pick up again with this uh, tracking the, the life of Christ and we, just like the last week or so of Jesus's life, we get lots of detail about it. It all gets focused also in the service of the sacrament. It all comes, comes to a head here. So you have, uh, we, we take what the crowds said to Jesus, saying, here's the king, the king's coming. We take that uh, for ourselves. And say, here, here's the king, he's coming, right? His body and blood right here. And then the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, I like to... Um, Think of that as if you're tracking the life of Christ, you just had, we've, we've had his birth, we've had his earthly ministry of teaching and prayer, and then we get Palm Sunday, and then right after that we're in, uh, we're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we're praying, right? Uh, Thy will be done, right? He says, let this cup pass for me, not, but not my will be done, but, but thy will be done, right? And so that's what we also say, learn to say in the Lord's Prayer. This is the prayer that, that Jesus taught us and it ultimately, it's the, the main goal is asking God for salvation. And 
uh, well, one of the places you're going to get that is in the supper that's coming up right, right here. So that's, there's a reason we would pray it right before we actually get that salvation handed to us. So the words of institution then come right on the heels of the Lord's Prayer. Here's God's answer to that prayer we just prayed. Um, not only are these words from the Bible in general, as you've seen as we go through this, you're going through your handout, you're seeing all the words are from the Bible, but these are the words that Jesus speaks to actually make the supper happen. So just like the absolution or just like the Holy Gospel, the word of God is actually doing something here. It's not just information, it's Jesus talking to you, doing something, giving you something, and it's Jesus who actually blesses the bread and the wine, making it his body and blood. He's there speaking the words. Pastor is just the mouth, but it's the Lord himself doing it. And I would connect this then to, I suppose, it would make more sense, I guess it would make sense to say, here's, here's the Last Supper, right? Because that's when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. But... Uh, I already said, I, I said, Lord's, Lord's prayer is like the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus praying for God's will to be done. And, and so the words of institution are Good Friday, because where was, Je where was Jesus' body given? Where was his blood poured out? But on the cross, right? This, and, and so this, what he did on the cross won salvation for us, and now here in these words, in this supper, that salvation is being distributed. It's being given to you. And then the pastor, he might turn, if he's, maybe he's already facing you or he turns around and says, the peace of the Lord be with you always. These are Easter words. This is the resurrection. Jesus came to his disciples Sunday evening after he rose from the dead and he said, peace be with you, right? So the Lord's Supper that forgives your sins also gives you peace with God. And then we follow that up by singing the the uh, the Agnus Dei, because we are uh, gonna we're gonna use the words of John the Baptist to respond to the Lord who's right here with us. We uh, we're singing to the crucified and risen Lord. He's all that's who he always is. He's always the crucified one, always the risen one, the one who gives mercy, the one who gives peace. We got distribution, you sing some hymns there, right? Uh, uh, hymns are never just filler. Not, it's, there's, never, there's never music in church that's just filler music, all right? It's always meant to be getting you to think about something that God is doing, getting you to meditate. Uh, the, the hymns of distribution are usually getting you to meditate on the gift of the Lord's Supper, teaching you how to think about it, how to give thanks for this salutary gift. And, uh, and then once we're all done, then we sing the Nunc Dimittis. Again, another song right out of the Bible, right? This is the song of Simeon who saw his Savior with his own eyes. He's holding the baby Jesus in his arms, right? And now you have seen the Lord's salvation for yourself. You've received that same body and blood that Simeon held in his arms. You've now gotten that for yourself. And we say thank you to God for his good gifts. We say another prayer. Um, that the supper would bear fruit in our lives, in our faith, in our love. We're, we're praying in that, that collect after the supper that, that the Lord's Supper would change us, that it'd make us more like Jesus, so that, it would, so that we would become more like the, the, the lives of the saints that are described for us in the Bible. 
everything that the Bible says, here's what Christians are supposed to do, here's how Christians are supposed to live and act and everything like that, the Lord's Supper is there to make that, to make that happen for you. You're, you're never gonna be able to just follow the Bible on your own, right? It's, it's the Lord himself who's got to work that in you through, uh, through the means of grace. End with the salutation one more time and uh, uh, let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hopefully by now you've seen how, how the Psalms are, are really are one of our best teachers when it comes to how to pray, how to pray to God, how to praise him. Uh, they're, the, they're the prayer book of the Bible. God just says, here, use, use these for your prayers. And, uh, and then you get the, the benediction. Again, it's right out of the Bible. It's a actual command from God given to Aaron, that first high priest. He says, this is how you are gonna bless my people. You're gonna put my name on them. And that should sound familiar if you haven't forgotten where we started, right? We had God, God put his name on us in baptism and in the benediction, his name is put on you Again, because where God's name is, there that's where he is with all of his blessings. And so then you, you, you give that one last uh, great worship word, right? Amen. Gift received. All right. I got to stop and let you, I might say a couple more things, but I want to see if you got questions first. Or comments. Or disagreements. I figured if I showed you the thing with all the actual Bible citations, you can't disagree with me because I'm like, look, it's right. I got the proof passages. Yeah. We've got a guy in our church who usually brings up like the Nicene Creed. If we all sit there and confess the same thing, why can't other denominations take communion? It's been explained to him several times. Okay. He, the question was, um, if, if all Christians confess the same thing in, like in the Nicene Creed, why can't we all take communion together? Well, it's, it's kind of the same problem we have with, if all Christians say we get our beliefs from the Bible, why can't we all have communion together? Okay, yeah, I agree. But, but what, so what do you think the Bible means? <laughs> I guess it's the follow-up question you have to ask, and the same thing then with the with the well, creed. I tried to explain it to him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's very easy for us humans to hold something that's contradictory in our in our head. You know, um, just not quite realize that we're we're contradicting ourselves. Um, and sometimes uh, people actually do believe what the Bible says and what the creed says. They just you know for whatever reason they're in the wrong church, <laughs> uh, and they don't quite realize it maybe. But uh, we want to, uh, uh, the creed again is a, is a condensed version, and so we still need to unpack that a little bit more so that we find the, the true unity that God's word creates that then gets expressed in the, uh, in the Holy Communion. That's actually one of the, I'll just jump to, I'm going to use this to jump to one of the things I didn't get to bring up yet, and how the, the liturgy is shaped by the worship that we find in the Bible. Um, I could talk about the Old Testament if you want. I think it's fascinating. Uh, I didn't believe it, really. I thought Old Testament, that's all sacrifices. It's the law, right? It's all Moses stuff, all these, these priests and sacrifices. It's weird. We don't do that anymore. It's got nothing to do with Christian worship. 
it's all done. I mean, it's not that it was bad, but it's, it's over, right? No, the pattern that's set up there in the Old Testament worship is continued on. But also in the New Testament, I know there's no, you know, there's no page 15 or divine service setting three in the Bible, right? But, but the pattern is there. And one of the places where this is seen is uh, in the book of Acts chapter two, it says, I'm going to read it because I don't want to get it wrong. The Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So there's four things that Christians are, were all about in the New Testament church. Apostles' doctrine, teaching, right? That's the Bible. They got it. They, they're in the word of God. And they're learning what the Bible says in, in every article of faith, every, every point that the Bible makes, they're studying and learning so, because that's what creates unity among Christians. And that unity is what is mentioned there when it says the fellowship. I know you, you probably all have a fellowship hall and you go there for fellowship time with donuts and coffee. But Bible fellow, the, the, the fellowship that the Bible's talking about uh, is it's the same word as communion. So it's, it's the unity, the, like we say in the creed, uh, the communion of saints, right? This is the body, the group of saints that are united around God's word, around the apostles' teaching. It's their teaching that unites them, the teaching of Jesus and his apostles that, that makes the communion of God's holy people. And so then within that communion, within that unity that's based on God's word, that unity is expressed when we actually share a meal together, when we eat the, eat, uh, uh, the one bread and drink from the one cup. That, express, that unity is expressed in the breaking of the bread, number three there. And then the prayers, the prayers. I think that article is important. It's the, not, not just, and they prayed sometimes, but they did the prayers, which actually goes back to your question about, you know, who wrote the divine service. The, the apostles being good, faithful Israelites, Jews, they continued on in the worship that they had, they, that they borrowed from the, the, the worship of the temple and the worship of the synagogue and adapted it and made it clearly uh, about the fulfillment of those things. Who is the fulfillment of the temple? Who is the fulfillment of the, the, the synagogue, the place of uh, God's teaching? Well, it's Jesus. And so that changes it a little bit, but it's the same. It's the same, but it grows. And so the, the prayers there, they have, they've got the apostles' teaching. They've got the Bible. They've got the unity in the word of God, the fellowship. They've got the breaking of the bread that happens within that unity. And they've got the prayers, that is, the liturgy, what they do. When they come together, how do they talk? How do they talk to their heavenly father? What are the words they use? Um, so there's, there's kind of an, one example of where our divine service is already um, coming. That, that's where it's coming from. Anybody else got any questions? Yeah. Is there something you would add to the liturgy that is not perfect? That I would? Oh, no. <laughs> that would be your... Um, uh, that's a, a dangerous thing for a pastor to um, think about adding or subtracting parts of the liturgy because so, so it's a, it, 
it's a was a grad what we have now came about by a gradual process let's you know 2000 maybe we should go back before jesus even and say you know 3000 3, or something uh, years in the making there's a lot more of them than there is of me a lot more of my my fathers and mothers in the faith who lived with God's word and learned from their fathers and mothers in the faith, you know, I, I'm going to trust their collected wisdom over, over my own. Um, now, I will say, since going back again to your, your other question about did Martin Luther write the divine service, and then kind of with yours, he did change a lot of things because there, were a lot of, there was a lot of stuff that had crept into the divine service that, well, made it less about what was God, what was God doing for you made it more about what, is, what are we doing for God, or really, what is the priest doing for God? And, uh, but he, so he took out a lot of stuff, but he also added to two things, which I think is fantastic. No, I'm going to say he added three things, which are just fantastic, and I can't imagine, I really can't imagine the, the, uh, a divine service without them now. Martin Luther said, um, look, we need people to be able to hear the words of Jesus, the words that create his supper. We don't want them thinking the priest is up there doing hocus pocus, you know, whispering with his back to them so that they can't know what's going on. We want them to hear, this is my body given for you. These, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. These are the, Luther said, this is the gospel in a nutshell. You know, John thinks 316 is great, but he, he said words of institution are the gospel in a nutshell. And what did Luther do? He actually took those words and said, we're gonna sing them so that everybody can hear in the entire church, with, 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 uh, along with add some beauty to it, we're going to sing the, the words of institution. And so if your pastor does that, that's great. And if he, if he doesn't, you can, you, know, you can gently encourage him to learn how to sing the, uh, the, words, the words of Jesus for the, for the sacrament. It really highlights these words and says, hey, everybody, stop what you're doing. This is the most important thing that could possibly happen. Uh, God is coming down. Uh, God in the flesh is right here in the bread and the wine. The, okay, he did that. Luther also added the nunc dimittis. Lord, now, I, I don't know if he actually, Lutherans added the nunc dimittis. I'm not sure if Luther did all of this, but his people. Lord, let your servant depart in peace. I can't imagine not singing that song now after communion. It's the most beautiful thing. And, uh, and then to sing it at, um, you know, sing it with a Christian who is, uh, maybe nearing death, just like Simeon was. He says, it's time for me. I, I can go now, Lord. I've, I've, had, I've had communion. I've had your body and blood. There's nothing else in this world um, that really, th this world doesn't have anything else to offer me. Uh, I can go. And then the, the third thing that uh, the Lutherans added was actually the uh, benediction, the Aaronic benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you, which is just fantastic pulling that that blessing from the Old Testament into our New Testament worship and showing how the two are really very much united. We are all one people of God, whether we lived before Jesus or live after Jesus. So uh, yeah, those three things were added during, for the Lutheran Church and I definitely wouldn't change it now. Did you have another question? No? I should probably stop, oh, no, yeah. Well, I went, I went off of what we have in our Lutheran service book of divine service setting three. I think it's probably the most 
traditional form of the of the divine service and and what i mean by that i just i mean it's the way that probably most christians throughout the history of the church have done divine service it's been different in different places it's never i i used i used i was you know a naive first year seminarian and i thought uh you know this is the way that the church always did it no there's variation from place to place and from time to time. Um, but I think what we have there is a really good, it's a really good preservation of the best that the, that the 2000 years of church history that we have, this is the, the best uh, we have to offer, I think. Um, yeah. Well, thank you very much for uh, listening and for your questions and I guess I'm just gonna say let us uh, let's close with let's close with uh, our our Lord's prayer Lord remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.